0: Hey guys, Veronica, Andrew, and Nate here. We are Foodies Watching Movies, a podcast dedicated to awesome movies, great food, and that's about it. Check us out on the JIC network at www.journeyintocomics.com. Maybe throw some money over to our Patreon so we can eat this week. And now your feature presentation. Following, following the following journey into comics, journey into comics, journey into comics, journey into comics, network, 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 production, production. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is episode twenty-four of Poor Three Sixty, the show that covers news of importance. And topics that are worth knowing about in the world. I am your host, as always, Andrew Porter. I want to thank you for joining me here on this fine Tuesday. And depending on where you are in the world, it might be wet, it might be dry, but you're not here for the weather, are you? Before I jump into what I want to talk about today, uh, I want to spend a few moments uh, talking about uh, death that we had in the the network family, uh, a pet, um, Nate uh, and Sarah's. Uh, Cat unfortunately passed away uh, yesterday as you're listening to this. Um, It was it was a it was a very friendly cat. I really liked whenever I would go see it uh, at their house, and it's it's to go. I understand it was an old cat, but still, it doesn't make the loss any less uh, painful. So um, I just want to extend my heartfelt condolences to them and anyone who has uh, seen the cat. Experience the cat more than just uh, hearing it because it has been featured on podcasts, I believe, in the background. That uh Nate will talk about that uh, the cat meowing in the background. So, definitely want to offer my sincerest condolences there. Um, so, and uh, moving on from there, uh, this, if you guys listen to this past episode of the episode before, you know that I've been traveling recently for work. It's been a bit hectic, and it does throw kind of my life in a little bit of a disarray as I'm dealing with uh, traveling, working on a location, being in a different time zone, and all that kind of bottles up, so it's been a little stressful. I don't I bring with me as my episodes have been a little scattered, maybe to say the least, but we were back um, yeah, before I even really get into this, but uh, I went so far as to having my flight canceled on Thursday night, having to get a different flight to a different location on Friday, flying into Indianapolis, having my bag Disappear, reappear in Chicago, disappear again, then not being able to pick it up until Sunday. So, yeah, it's been a, a bit of an experience, but I'm back, and I don't have any travel plans in the foreseeable future besides my honeymoon, so things are definitely looking up. But let's get to what you came to the show about, and that is Poor 360. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that last week I talked about the 2020 Democratic candidates for president, And this week, as I said, we're going to talk about the Republican candidates, and there really is only one that has really decided they're running, which is typical in a case where you have an incumbent president of a certain party. So Donald Trump is currently running unopposed for the 2020 presidency. As far as I'm aware, I haven't done too much digging, but I can't imagine anyone trying to beat Trump on the Republican side at this point. At this point, if it's got to be a Democrat, it's got to be someone... Who's able to bridge the gap and get some of the more uh moderate Republicans and can woo some of the conservative or woo some conservatives and woo some liberal democrats, and that's really the only shot. So where we're gonna jump right into here is I have some articles pulled up about Trump's twenty twenty election bid. Oh. I actually saw something that I was gonna bring up and I didn't realize <laughs> that until I pulled up the my articles here. Do you know there's actually a Journey Into Comics comic book shop? I was I, not using my computer, but I left my computer at work. So um, I was using my wife's computer and I was searching to see, to double check which episode I'm on. Because, you know, you do this enough, you kind of forget what number you're on and you don't want to say the wrong one when you're recording. So I looked it up and I just was searching Journey Into Comics. Do you know there's actually a Journey Into Comics comic book shop that's open, that exists in like Ohio, I thought, I remember years back this existed, I thought it had closed a number of years back before the network was really even a thing. But it looks like it exists, it has posts as recent as like a few days ago, so interesting. That might be something that would be interesting for uh, Nate to get like a voice of survival on on the other journey into comics. That might be a good thing to put in his ear if he listens to this, that might be something for him to do. They have a call number, you could always say like, hey, I am the other journey into comics, I am the podcast network. Be interesting to talk to you, and I'm sure they wouldn't mind the publicity because a comic book shop is a largely a word of mouth business. You do good business, you get good things. I mean, it's a it's a hard business to exist in because it isn't the big bread where You're selling comics, and it's a it's a niche hobby to say the least. So, yeah, maybe that's something that Nate will have down the line. Uh, Voices, a uh, voice rival, which you may have heard or drained a comics. Those are both good avenues that that would be interesting to approach if that person's even willing. He might be totally disinterested or doesn't even know we exist, but I'm assuming since there is a drain to comics and a, as a comic book store and then a drain to comics as a network and podcasting empire, then yeah, we'll have to see there. But getting in back to Trump, which is take it what you will. So I have a few articles here because when I get into what Trump's 2020 looks at, I have some poll stuff and all that. The same thing I kind of had for uh, the Democrats, but it's a little more condensed and more broad information because it is one candidate versus like 24 that we had on the Democratic side. So here's an article I have from CNN Politics from a few days back, which is Trump says he's not ready for a 2020 election loss. This is from Megan uh, Vasquez with CNN from Sunday, June 23rd. So just a couple days ago as you're listening to this. So as President Donald Trump said in an interview aired Sunday that he's not prepared to lose the 2020 presidential election, he said, it would not uh, be much better if I said, yeah, it would be much easier for me to say, oh, yes, no, I'm probably not too prepared to lose. I don't like losing. I haven't lost very much in my life, Trump told NBC's Meet the Press. Trump also subsequently reasserted that he doesn't believe in the validity of a lots of votes cast, which show he lost popular vote to 20- in 2016 to Hillary Clinton. I'll say something that, again, is controversial. There were a lot of votes cast that I don't believe, Trump's, Trump said. Outwardly, the president seemed to be... Trudging forward with the idea that he's an unstoppable candidate, tweeting out a video on Friday showing fictitious Trump campaign sides EE uh, Trump 2040 for every election just about until the end of time. But within the Trump campaign, polling numbers suggest some concern over his viability in some key states. The Trump campaign fired several pollsters after internal polling numbers showed the president lagging behind Democrat presidential candidates in key states were, were made public. Multiple sources told CNN last week. CNN and other outlets first reported the numbers, which showed Trump trailing former Vice President Joe Biden in states like Michigan and Wisconsin weeks earlier, but a purge of the polling team was proposed after Trump grew angry about the coverage of them. On Meet the Press, President also spoke about the upcoming election, confirming that Vice President Mike Pence would be his running mate for his 2020 run. But Trump stopped sort of offering Pence an endorsement for a hypothetical 2024 presidential run because the prospect is so far out. Trump has asked the same hypothetical earlier this month on Fox & Friends. I'm not thinking about it. It's so far out. I mean, it's so far out. That would be the only reason. Trump told me the press, Sunday adding, Now what happens in 2024? I don't know that Mike is going to run. I don't know who's running or anything else. Trump said it was a tremendous embarrassment to Biden that former President Barack Obama hasn't endorsed the former vice president yet. He also said he may address election interference with Russian President Vladimir Putin at the upcoming G20 summit. Are you going to tell him not to do it, meet the press host Chuck Todd asked. Trump responded, I may, if you'd like me to do it, I'll do that. The former, um, the president said he believes uh, House Speaker Nate Pelosi is not giving in to pressure from within our caucus to initiate impeachment proceedings because she fears doing so would benefit him politically. I feel she feel, I think she feels that I will win much easier, Trump said. I mean, I've been told that by many people. Despite argument, arguing impeachment would boost his reelection prospects, the president said he does not like the specter of impeachment hanging over him. I'm not sure that I'd like having it. Look, I did nothing wrong, Trump said before, calling impeachment a very unfair thing. So that's what you have. And like it said in the article, there was uh, leaked polls that show that Biden was beating him in a good chunk of the polling results. Which leads me to kind of the poll section. This is from Business Insider. It says, Trump's 2020 campaign reportedly cut ties with pollsters after leaks showed Biden leading in key states. So... President Donald Trump re-election campaign let go of internal pollsters after leaked results showed the president trailing former Vice President Joe Biden in critical states for the 2020 election. NBC News reported the decision citing someone familiar with Trump's campaign who said the move comes after an internal poll from March was leaked spreading ruled that Trump was trailing, behind, trailing Biden in 11 key states. The report also notes that the data shows Trump's path on the campaign trail is focused on picking up votes in vulnerable states, some of where Biden leads the president by double digits. This is the latest development in the worrying polling for Trump, including results reported by the New York Times earlier this month and data obtained by ABC News showing Trump trailing Biden in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Florida. A National Quinnipiac University poll released last week found six of the 24-declared 2020 Democratic presidential candidates would defeat President Donald Trump in a one-on-one general matchup if the election were held today. Biden's lead over Trump in the poll showed him ahead with margin of 53% to 40% overall, specifically with African-American voters 85% to 12%, female voters 60% to 34%, and among Hispanic voters by 58% to 33%. Trump and Biden both took to Iowa last week to woo voters on the campaign trail, where Biden called Trump an existential threat to America and condemned the effects his tariffs have on Iowa's farmers. Trump has taken aim at Biden as the former vice president emerged as a leader in the Democratic field. While addressing reporters on the White House's South Lawn before departing on his own jaunt to Iowa, Trump called Biden a dummy, mentally weak, and 1% Joe, referencing poor past performances in the 1988 and 2008 Democratic primaries. I heard Biden, who is a loser. I mean, look, Joe never got more than 1% except Obama took him off the trash heap, Trump said. Trump said and that Biden would be his preferred opponent, and that he looks different than he used to. He acts different than he used to. He's even slower than he used to be. Trump's campaign declined to comment, however. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of technical difficulty. So we had that. Now we had... I'm going to get to the Wikipedia at the end. I think that might make the most sense just to kind of run through all that connects material. So this is... The Time article, as you said, remember me saying in the last article that Trump kind of made a spoof Time article that showed, like, Trump, and it was going, like, 2016, 2020, 2024, 2028, 2030, two, and all, and so on and so forth. So this is the actual cover. This is from Time magazine. The article says, My whole life is a bet inside President Trump's gamble on an untested re-election strategy. And it shows him sitting on the Resolute desk... In the White House, in the Oval Office, just doing his thing. It's a steamy evening in mid-June and Trump is facing a set of high-stakes tests around the world. Tensions rising with Iran, tariffs imposed by India, protesters fighting the streets of Hong Kong. But Trump is confident, ready to joust. He's invited a group of Time journalists for an interview. Blown past the allotted time and settled in for a wide-ranging discussion. Along the way, he orders a Diet Coke with ice with the push of a small red button set into a wooden box on the desk and directs an aide to fetch a copy of a hand-delivered birthday letter sent from Kim Jong-un. Politics is rarely out of mind for any man who wills his way into the rarefied sanctum, especially one who calls his campaign manager on many days by 7 a.m., and certainly not now, the day before Trump formally kicks off his 2020 re-election bid. So it doesn't take much prodding for the president, a former casino magnate, to start making book on the sprawling field of democratic challengers. A progressive will probably win the primary, Trump predicts, running down the competition with evident relish. Joe Biden is not the same Biden, he says, adding later. Where's the magic? Kamala Harris, he notes, has not surged. Bernie Sanders is going in the wrong direction. Elizabeth Warren's doing pretty well, he allows. But Pete Buttigieg never had a chance. Why? I just don't feel it, Trump said. Politics is all instinct. Once again, Trump is putting his own instincts at the center of his campaign. The political mercenaries who tried to discipline his impulses in 2016 Have been shown the door the 2020 campaign is unmistakably trump show we all have our meetings the president says but i generally do my own thing campaign staff have been hired to follow trump's lead the president has made it known that when he tweets a new policy or improvises an attack at a rally everyone better be ready to follow along he blows the hole and everyone runs into the breach says an aide gone is the rickety operation that uh, eked out an upset victory over hillary clinton in its place, advisors boast is a state-of-the-art campaign befitting an incumbent president. Trump's campaign is gearing up to spend $1 billion and may well get there. His team has spent more money earlier in the campaign than any re-election bid in recent history. Campaign staff sit in slick offices in a glass-skinned tower overlooking the Potomac River in Arlington, Virginia. And Trump has won total control of the Republican National Committee, which fought against him for much of 2016. Despite the trappings of the convention, over Trump has, for the most part, thrown out the playbook for incumbency. The last three two-term presidents were lifted in important ways by a bipartisan message. Bill Clinton ran on the 1994 crime bill and tax reform. George W. Bush ran on keeping America safe in the wake of 9-11. Barack Obama reminded voters that Osama bin Laden was dead and General Motors was alive. Trump, who lost the popular vote in 2016, is the only president in the history of Gallup polling never to crack 50% approval, he's ready to defy that legacy i think my base is strong i'm not sure that i have to do that he tells time after being asked whether he should reach out to swing voters the mantra of trump 2020 is turnout 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 as a campaign manager brad Pascal puts it people all think you have to change people's minds you just have to get people to show up that believe in you he's not wrong to be totally honest insiders know it's a tough path in 2016 trump flipped three democratic bastions Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, by a combined 79,646 votes, capitalizing on Hillary Clinton's liabilities and energizing disaffected voters. Trump drew an inside straight, says his 2016 campaign chief executive Steve Bannon. He can't count on the luck in 2020. You have to get every effing deplorable, Bannon says, using his own Clinton-inspired term for Trump's ardent supporters. Everybody's got to show up. The key is making trump's instinct for america's sore spots the engine of the political machine designed to inflame supporters at its core his campaign is a kind of perpetual outright outrage machine it uses algorithms automated settings on internet platform like google and facebook to place massive digital ad buys anytime trump creates a firestorm the cycle is simple trump says something controversial or offensive that drives a surge of search interest in the topic and that gives his campaign an opening to serve up online ads the ads supporters text the campaign, take single-question campaign-generated polls, and buy Trump hats, yard signs, beer coolers, and witch-hunt decals from the campaign online store, all which rakes in voter contact data. Never before has an incumbent president run a campaign this way. It's a strategy built for the new partisan era, says Pre- Princeton University presidential historian Julian Zylizer? Zylizer. Candidates are always done things to turn out their supporters. What has not been tested, at least in modern times, is strategy in which all the rhetoric and all the politics are just tailored around the turnout crowd and there's no effort to go beyond it. It brings us to the wager on which the gambler has staked a second term. Trump has already smashed the norms of American politics, remade the Republican Party into his cheering gallery, and taken the national news cycle hostage. Can he win a second term on the basis that he's governed in the first by playing to his base? Nor has the machine adapted the president as it has in the Oval Office. Over the course of Time's 57-minute interview, the case for Trump's re-election unspools through a series of set-pieces requests made to his assistants. Pressed over his commitment to get the U.S. out of a foreign war, he has a reply. We defeated ISIS, he says. Maybe you could ask him to bring me those maps, he adds. Speaking to one of his staff soon enough, an aide brings in three printed sheets showing the Islamic State-held territory in Syria shrinking to zero. When asked whether the latest attacks against oil tankers near the Strait of Hormuz, which U.S. officials blame on Iran, threatened to draw America towards a new dangerous intervention in the Middle East. He requests favorable data once more. Do me a favor, will you get that information idea yesterday, he says, to an aide in the next room. The companies, the countries that benefit from the straits, I want to show you something. China gets 60% of their oil there, Japan gets 25%, we get very little. Of course, ISIS continues to launch attacks. We've taken back the caliphate, Trump says. It doesn't mean one of the crazies don't walk into the store all bombed up. It's not impossible to imagine the world economy or the Middle East descending into chaos if Trump fills his wish to get out of the region. Even as he downplays Iran's alleged attack as very minor, his outgoing acting Secretary of Defense announced a deployment of 1,000 more U.S. troops to the Gulf to bolster U.S. installations against what the Pentagon calls an escalation of threats from Iran. The core of Trump's pitch to voters as well as visiting journalists is that there's been prog- great progress towards the, around the world on his watch. The collapse of Chinese trade talks and a mounting tariff fight that the Oxford Economics research firm says will shave 0.3% off the GDP in 2020 and potentially cost the economy 62 billion in lost output over the next year. It's not a failure, it's a success, he claims. I give them a lot of credit, but we've helped create China. You look at what happened over the last period of time, and China wants to make a deal. He says, "I'm very happy now. Collecting 25% on 250 billion, which is what we're doing." Few trade experts see Trump gain the upper hand in this tariff battle, but in his telling, multiple countries are looking to make deals with the U.S. thanks to his unconventional posts. He lists some only off the record again, calling for a document that provides rather weak support. Eventually, Trump just cuts the chase. Look, I think I've done so much. Could you bring me the list of things? Please give me four of them. He shouts to the door. I've done more in two and a half years than any president in the history of the country. Three printed pages with 72 bullet points emerge. Economic growth is up and unemployment has stayed at or below 4% for 15 months. He signed tax cuts into law, opened up Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to oil drilling, recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, canceled the Clean Power Plan, withdrew from the Iran deal and the Paris Agreement, issued an order to make Space Force the sixth branch of the military. He agreed with reception that he doesn't get credit for what he's done. The Oval Office isn't isn't the natural venue for Trump's brand of politics. Campaigning is where he really feels at home, so Trump has merged the two to an unprecedented degree filing for re-election on the first day of his presidency, naming a 2020 campaign manager just a year into his first term, and banking at least $100 million for the effort so far. In June, an independent government agency found that senior White House advisor Clan Conway has violated a law prohibiting federal employees from engaging in partisan politics by repeatedly slamming Trump's 2020 opponents in media interviews and on Twitter. Let me know when the jail sentence starts, Conway scoffed in May. Even as Trump sat with time, his administration was tossing red meat out the back of the campaign wagon in the form of a pledge to deport millions of illegal aliens in the country. The nerve center of the re-election bid isn't Trump Tower, where campaign mail arrives and Eric and Laura Trump have studios for television hits, or even the Arlington Office Tower. The node close to Trump's brain is a narrow room with a single window tours down the hall from the Oval Office where Jared Kushner sits. The president's son-in-law, a former real estate developer and one-time moderate Democrat, began began pitching in with policy research on trade and taxes back in 2015, then took a behind-the-scenes leadership role that November after he saw Trump ignite a crowd in Springfield, Illinois. By the end of the campaign, he had emerged as a kind of shadow campaign manager, guiding Trump where possible and reassuring worried Republicans on all fronts. He's playing a similar role this time around as an architect of the campaign and troubleshooter, talking nearly every day with Eric Trump, Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel, and Pascal. One of Kushner's main projects has been populating the leadership ranks of the Republican Party with Trump loyalists. In February 2018, he and Eric Trump installed, as head of the re-election effort, Parskal, a lanky 43-year-old digital marketing entrepreneur from San Antonio who engineered Trump's targeted online ad blitz in 2016. Parskal has hired about 60 staff and worked with the RNC to create an online fundraising platform known as WinRed, to complete with ActBlue, the Democratic digital juggernaut. Drawing on his tech startup's background Pascal is also developing a smartphone app that attempts to gamify trump supporters uh, engagement with the campaign by offering prizes in exchange for getting friends to share their contacts hosting trump events in their home or knocking on doors voters get perks like be- better rally seats photos with the president signed hats and other incentives Pascal, a six foot eight inch former college basketball recruit sees his role as trump's facilitator he's the real campaign manager the real finance director the real director of everything Pascal says My job is to build a team that's ready to deal with whatever happens. More often than not, the president will go off script, and a campaign official likens Trump's knack for riling voters to an old night fishing trick, shining high-power flashlights into the water to draw a quarry to the surface. The United States is a pond, the president is like the lights, and the official who requests anonymity to speak Kennedy, if he's not there, there's no light, fish are deep, I need a really big lure, it's expensive. But the advisor continues, when Trump lights things up with an issue like immigration or trade, it becomes easy to draw prospective voters out. A rally in Grand Rapids, Michigan in late March offers a case in point. Trump issued an off-the-cuff threat to close the damn border if Mexico didn't stop two large caravans heading towards the southwest border. The crowd erupted in cheers. Electrified by their response, Trump told aides he wanted to move ahead with the plan to close ports of entry. A series of three retreats were drafted to be released on Trump's Twitter feed the next morning announced that a large section of the border would be closed the following week. As news stories and web searches spiked, the campaign bought digital ads about immigration. Though the president leader backed off the threat, his campaign kept the momentum going by spending $250,000 of the next nine weeks pushing out ads on Facebook and paying for clicks on Google search. The content we produce, the advertising we platform, there's never been anything like this in politics, Parskal says. We have our own television show in a way. Using such techniques, Pascala has built a list of 35 million voter contacts. The outreach has been churning for more than a year now. When Trump barnstormed Republican strongholds before the midterm elections, officials asked attendees to text "Wall" or TRUMP to phone numbers plastered on signs and scoreboards inside the arena. Those cell phone numbers and other data collected through RSVPs helped the campaign construct a community-level map of energized supporters and prospective volunteers, a cohort they call the Army of Trump. Since 2015, Trump issued rallies for the potent cocktail of tribal resentment and rage. They thrilled the president as much as anyone. Talking to Time on the Oval, he boasted of 120,000 people requesting tickets to his official re-election kickoff on June 18th under the Orlando area. This is the size of Madison Square Garden. I think it's slightly larger, he says. It's where the Orlando magic plays. It's packed. We'll have thousands and thousands of people inside or outside. The familiar slogan has been updated. Make America Great Again has become Keep America Great. But the tone of the show is not. Trump promised in Orlando to build a wall to keep out dangerous aliens and called the Democrats' immigration policies the greatest betrayal of the American middle class and frankly, American life. The swampy Washington still needs draining, according to the president, even though it's now his bog. The crowd's enthusiasm waned when he talked about his achievements, but it broke out in a raucous calls to lock up Hillary Clinton when he mentioned her name. A radical Democratic opponents are driven by hatred, prejudice, and rage. He said earlier, pointing out House efforts to investigate his 2016 campaign ties to Russia and possible obstruction of justice by the president. They want to destroy you, they just want to destroy our country as we know it. Jim Messina, who ran President Obama's 2012 re-election campaign, says this approach helps Trump dominate the national conversation on issues like immigration that motivate his base. Democratic strategists worry that the Trump campaign will have the chance to spend tens of millions of dollars building a campaign in the field, defining his opponent for months. All while the Democrats are mired in a long and brutal primary battle. What mystifies many is that Trump, a lifelong pitchman, has never bothered to sell himself to the broader public. The thing they're not doing, which I I think is totally odd, is doing any sort of general election messaging. Messina says, By this point in the 2012 election, we were in the Midwest trying to tell the economic recovery story, which you would kind of expect them to be doing right now, Instead, every single thing they're doing is about the base. The problem with that, he adds, is that the nation, including the background states that will decide the election, is growing more diverse every year, which sharpens Trump's need to expand his coalition. If you just do a base strategy, then you're not going to be able to expand to any states. I think that's where this election is going. There is, of course, a large section of the country, the government, and its centers of power that have not bent to Trump's politics. That can infuriate the president. Halfway through the time interview, the subject turned to special counsel Robert Mueller, who survived nearly two years of attacks by Trump and his allies to a damning 448-page document enumerating Russia's efforts to help Trump win in 2016. Some of the people close to Trump offered damaging evidence. The former chief of staff, White House counsel, deputy campaign chairman, deputy national security advisor, staff secretary, communications director, and other testified under oath, at risk of prison time, to act by Trump that Mueller said... The Mueller said were designed to influence and control the probe. While Mueller declined to say whether those acts amounted to obstruction of justice, Democrats and at least one Republican say they did. Pressed by time about his aides' testimony, Trump becomes angry. It's incredible, he says, with all I've done, with the tremendous I've had, that Time magazine writes about me the way they write is a disgrace. Okay? The monument provides a glimpse into why the Trump reelection operation runs on perpetual outrage. The close to him Those close to him know a conventional campaign couldn't regulate a man who scorns political and ethical norms and is able to let challenges to his authority pass. He isn't faking his outrage about the media the Mueller report, his opponents and that anger, whatever its ultimate source, is politically powerful. Nobody's been treated as unfairly as Donald Trump, the president says. That in turn means that Trump's team may not have much choice in the kind of campaign it runs. A unique challenge Trump campaign will always have is Trump is not tethered to the campaign, says Robbie Mook, who managed Clinton's 2016 presidential bid. He's going to go out and do whatever he does every day, so it's going to have to figure out strategically and tactically how to cope with that. The machine that Kushner and Parskov built is designed to harness the power of Trump's grievance message, which resonates with tens of millions of voters. He's not pivoting, Kushner tells Time. The president is who he is and doesn't pretend to be anything else. But they also recognize they need to do more. The campaign is knocking on doors in African-American enclaves in Florida and North Carolina to talk up the landmark prison reform law Trump signed in December 2018. It's also testing how to pitch Latino voters in New Mexico and Nevada on Trump's Chinese tariffs. The number one issue driving Latino voters to like him and support him is his fight against China, a senior campaign official says, and that the campaign is working to figure out why that's an animating issue. But cranking the outrage machines for so long may make it hard for voters to hear a subtle subtler frequency. Privately, some Trump advisors say they need to do a better job touting the president's record, especially on the economy. But can that message break through the pain Trump's tariffs have caused for many voters? And in the meantime, a large chunk of the campaign budget is still being spent on hot-button topics like immigration. They're trying to say they're running a normal campaign and doing outreach, says Messina, who now tracks ad buys for his consulting firm. It's all a show. For the moment, polls show Trump trailing Democratic frontrunners in key in some key states. Trump is being briefed on polling data at least twice a month and is, in the past few weeks have has been requesting more granular breakdowns according to a former advisor who speaks to Trump. He's aware that he's not beating any of the major candidates right now one on one nationally, the advisors say. He fired some of his pollsters after internal surveys were leaked showing him trailing Biden. Trump himself doesn't seem to know whether he can really beat the odds. Still filming about Mueller, Trump keeps coming back to the investigation makes contradictory claims about its effects. Based on the economy, I should be up 15 or 20 points higher, he says, but the thing that I have that nobody's ever had before, from the day I came down that escalator, I have had a phony witch hunt against me. Minutes later, he asserts the opposite. The Mueller probe turned out to be an asset, he says, because it really energized a base like I've never seen before. There's no question, Trump has significant advantages as he looks ahead to the re-election fight. Dealing with time and money and the biggest megaphone on the planet. In this position, most incumbents would appeal for four more years by pledge to unite the country. Casting this approach aside makes him historically unusual. For an incumbent president, says Timothy Naftali, former director of the Richard Nixon President's Library and Museum, he basically wants to beat the House politically again. Whether he wins his bet or not, Trump's campaign will test the power of outrage. And actually, after reading all that, it seems like. As much as you might disagree, I think they found a way to make Trump's message expand, go where you didn't think it would go before. I didn't, I didn't really think it changed, it, but it seems like they found a way to at least laser focus a campaign strategy that befits Trump's personality and nature and off the cuffness that he exists in. So we'll kind of have to see how that shakes out. It doesn't. He still has an uphill battle, but man, there's going to be a fight next year for the election. So we're going to to see what happens there. And there's a lot more information on that than I wanted to get into, and I think we're already running a little long on the podcast, at least for how short I kind of keep these. But um, let's run through a little bit of information here about the 2020 campaign from uh, Donald Trump's uh, Wikipedia page for his campaign. So... Let's see what we got here. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. We, he's done his rallies. He's pretty much been campaigning since he elected. That's kind of the gist of it. But you've shown one side. Let's show another. This is an article from Breitbart, which I know what you're thinking. Breitbart is definitely very much. Trump's kind of paper next to Fox News, Breitbart um, being kind of an offshoot of uh, Steve Bannon, that whole thing. So, here's an article say that puts probably a very positive spin on it. I haven't read it yet, I was just kind of searching for another um, not opposing view, but something that casts it in a more Trumpian light. So, supporters line up 40 hours early for Donald Trump 2020 kickoff rally in Florida, showing a picture of a black man holding a Jewish flag or the flag of Israel wearing a Make America Korean hat his shirt says Trump 2020 and it says Make Liberals Cry Again which is probably a spoof shirt but you can never know so President Donald Trump's supporters begin lining up in Florida on Monday morning ahead of its scheduled campaign launch on Tuesday uh, this was Tuesday June 18th local media reporters reported eight Trump supporters began to camp out at 2.30am on Monday as the first in line at the Amway Center in Orlando, Florida Florida, sorry. On Twitter, Trump said the rally would be record-setting after the campaign received over 100,000 ticket requests the arena sits 20,000. Our country is doing great, far beyond what the haters and losers thought possible. It will only get better, Trump wrote. The campaign plans to kick off the event at 10 a.m. with food trucks, live music, and will set up big screens outside the stadium for Trump's speech. Inside and out, the excitement at this Trump rally would be something to remember as President Trump makes history, campaign chief operating officer Michael Glasner said in a statement to reporters. Oh, I guess that was all it was. Trump also tweeted, Big rally tomorrow night in Orlando, Florida, looking to be setting records or building large movie screens outside to take care of everybody. Over 100,000 requests. Our country's doing great, far beyond what the haters and losers thought possible, and only get better. One thing that still kind of baffles me the uh, kind of think about um, Donald Trump and his kind of his personality as president is that he's never really grabbed onto the POTUS Twitter handle. I think he's used it maybe like a dozen times since he took office. He much prefers to keep his regular Twitter handle, the at real Donald Trump. I think either Donald Trump or Donald J. Trump. I'm not sure what he actually does. But it's kind of interesting that he doesn't actually. He seems. Yeah, he's a very unconventional candidate. And so a lot of people discounted him in the 2016 election. But we've seen through what has happened, obviously, with the 2016 election and as he's kind of fluctuating the polls and with his campaign and all that since then, that he's very much a viable candidate. There's not like. Oh, Trump's definitely going to lose in 2020. It's He might lose. It's still anyone's game. It really needs to... If they even want to have a good challenger against them, there needs to be a unified Democratic front. The only reason Trump got as far as he did in 2016 was because there was like 20 Republican candidates and they all sounded the same next to Trump. And that's the only reason Trump kept standing out and kept winning. And that's how he got to where he was. We have so many Democratic candidates. I think we're in the similar boat... We're going to end up infighting on the Democratic side until two people stand at the top. And if that's Biden, if that's Bernie, if that's Warren, if that's Buttigieg, if that's Kamala Harris, we don't really know how that's going to shake out. We just have to be prepared to, once this happens, we need to become unified. We saw that after Bernie Sanders lost the Democratic primary to Hillary Clinton, that his supporters, some ran to Trump because they didn't want Hillary Clinton. They were so against her that they would rather have Trump than her. So we got to be united if we want to see the outcome we want in the election. I'm not saying you have to vote Democrat. You're fully entitled to vote for whoever you think. If you want to vote, if you're a Republican and you support Trump, vote for him. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But you have to be 100% against the person you're voting for. You shouldn't vote for a person just because they're the opposite of what you want. There's the whole point I've been seeing a lot of is anybody but Trump. At that point doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You have to be happy with the person you're voting for. If you're only voting for the Democratic candidate just so they'll, that Trump will lose, you're not going to be happy with the next four years of that choice you made. At least if, you, if Trump gets re-elected, you at least have that outrage that the candidate I won didn't win and he still didn't win in the general. Like, you're still... but. You have to stand behind that choice. Yes, I know a lot of people are saying who, you should support whoever the your party's candidate is. Which, there there is, there is benefit of that. You can see an agenda that's more in line with what you want. But, you have no idea what that candidate could do. People make campaign promises all the time and then change them once they're elected. It's how a lot of politicians exist. So it's just something to keep in mind as we move closer and closer to this 2020 election. We still have many months before... We'll see a firm democratic front runner we still have all the debates coming up we still have the primaries to deal with well before the general we're still over a year and well about a year and a half before the general election and who's to say what we're gonna be doing that we could be in the middle of a war and we don't usually get rid of a wartime president that's just a fact that we've dealt with for decades So just keep that in mind as the election gets floated. Don't get bogged down by the stupid partisan politics of it all. Just find a candidate, support them. And if you want to support them through the general, even if they don't make it through the primary, that's on you. But stand by your convictions. Don't bend to the will of everyone around you. Peer pressure is not okay. But I think that'll do it for poor 360 for this week. Stuff has been quite an episode, and I'm looking forward to bringing you another episode of a topic that you'll find out about shortly for episode 25, a milestone episode. I've hit episodes. I know normally if I would have kept up with the poor report, the poor report that I started way back when, I'd be approaching episode 100. I understand that's a milestone that will be hard for me to achieve now that I've. I'm on kind of the third iteration of my show. It's evolved a lot, and I think... Yes, I could have evolved and kept the name, but I think I had to try these different things out to try and find a balance, to try and bring something. Not to try and be something that I'm not, and that's what I've had to bring. And when I get to that milestone of 100 episodes, it'll be something special. and It'll be something I'm looking forward to, whether it takes me 75 more weeks whether it takes me 150 weeks, whether it takes me five years, I will get to that point and it'll be great. And if I never get there, that's fine too. Podcasting isn't for everyone and people get on and get off very often in this world. So just do your best, whether it comes to whatever you're looking forward to in life, whether it's politics, whatever you want to do, give it your all and just hope for the best. And that is Poor 360 for this week. You guys have a great week. You've been listening to Poor 360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and many others.